Well, those of you that have little kids uh, probably have heard this before. Why? Why? And, and maybe your teenagers. Why? Why? <laughs> and those of us who are parents are, are used to hearing that question. And sometimes it's annoying. Sometimes we don't really know how to answer. And sometimes the answer we give isn't actually something that people like. Um, but I, I think as kids, we feel freedom to ask the question. And, and I wonder this morning if you feel that you can ask God why. Do you feel that it's okay to, to doubt and to question? Uh, and do you understand that actually the process of questioning and doubting uh, can be a faith-building process? Uh, so this morning, as we close off our our year 2020, we want to look at a passage in Habakkuk. And uh, Eldon already read the last part, and we don't have time this morning to go through the entire book. Uh, but I'll give you a little bit of a, a background here. Habakkuk was one of the minor prophets who lived and prophesied in Jerusalem. And uh, that was the southern kingdom. You remember that uh, after Solomon's uh, son came to the throne, the kingdom, the 12 tribes were torn apart, 10 in the north called the northern kingdom, and two in the south called the southern kingdom or Judah. Well, given the context of the book, he likely wrote around 609 to 598 B.C. Uh, during Jehoiakim's reign. And uh, that was before the Babylonian invasion. <clears throat> now, those of you that know your history know that the northern kingdom had been destroyed in 722 B.C. by the Assyrians. And though they were captured by the Assyrians, many of them taken off into captivity, uh, that experience didn't seem to have changed the course of life in the southern kingdom. Because the injustice and the idolatry was as rampant as ever. And Judah's king, uh, Jehoiakim, was an evil king. Now you'll notice if you read the, the book, it's just three chapters, that Habakkuk doesn't actually focus on accusing Israel as the prophets were prone to do. They would speak for God and, and speak out and prophesy against the king or against the, against the nation for their, their evil. This letter is actually more an address of Habakkuk to God. This is a conversation between Habakkuk and God where Habakkuk is dealing with his struggle. And the question he's asking is, is God good when there's so much evil in the world? Uh, these are conversations with God in the midst of confusion and chaos. And Habakkuk could see this Babylonian invasion coming. And I would say that questions and lament are part of a believer's burden. An honest dialogue with God is actually an important part of a relationship with Him. I've probably told you this before. When you get a certain age, you repeat the same stories. Uh, but I remember as a teenager, I used to pray before I'd go to sleep. I'd have my devotions, and I remember, I don't remember what it was, but I actually said, God, I just don't feel like talking to you today. That's how I ended my day. I don't know what it was. But I was honest, and I told him how I felt. And the funny thing is, as I unpacked that honestly, I actually ended with a prayer, and we were at peace, and I went to sleep peacefully. So actually, God didn't strike me with a bolt of lightning. 
Uh, he knew how I was feeling in the first place, and that dialogue of honesty with him was an important part of my relationship with him. And I would say this morning that lament and questioning provide a pathway for honest faith and faithful conversation with God during the good times and the tough times. Where is God? Why is he silent? How long will he allow this mess to continue? That's maybe what Habakkuk was feeling. And God's answer in chapter 2 didn't please Habakkuk either because God basically told him, I'm going to punish Israel by bringing an even more evil nation, Babylon, to take you into captivity. So hence Habakkuk's question, how could a just God use an even more evil nation to punish Israel? Well, I want to talk a little bit about uh, what Gregory Boyd calls redemptive withdrawal. And uh, maybe we'll have to have this conversation sometime with you um, if you want to unpack it further. Uh, These are my thoughts this morning. I realize there are uh, different viewpoints on this, and I'm not going to be dogmatic. But these are my thoughts um, building off of Gregory Boyd's idea of the principle of redemptive withdrawal. Throughout history, God has used his redemptive withdrawal for redeeming purposes. For redeeming purposes. We see this best at the cross where God withdrew and allowed Satan to do his worst in killing the Son of God. And that actually was Satan's greatest defeat and undoing. Habakkuk's struggle has to do with the prospect of God's redemptive withdrawal. How could God withdraw his protection of Israel? How could he do that? And then the pain and suffering that they were going to experience as a result. Because Babylon was going to attack Israel. And I want to tell you this morning that this withdrawal, although it seems to be punitive in nature, it always has redemption as its ultimate goal. Because God honors the free will that he has created within us, he also works to bring about change by means of influence rather than coercion. In other words, he invites, he knocks at at our heart's door. He doesn't obligate. In allowing people to go through suffering, God mourns with those that mourn. He hurts with those that hurt. He identifies with our suffering from the inside. Uh, A friend of mine graduated uh, from Rio Grande Bible Institute with a four-year degree. Shortly thereafter, she married a fellow student who also graduated, and they were driving their car from southern Texas to Miami to get on a plane and go to Puerto Rico as missionaries. They were hit by another car driven by a drunk driver, and he was killed. Now, All of us would say, how in the world is that possible? Two college grads preparing to go to the mission field, and this happens. Could God not have intervened? And I would say, God mourns with us when we mourn. So here, in a nutshell, are four aspects of this principle of withdrawal. God judges by simply withdrawing his presence. In other words, I think that sometimes God uses withdrawing his presence to try to bring us around. Secondly, God's motive in bringing judgment is always redemptive. 
I think the cross is a supreme example of how deep God's love runs and that everything that he does is loving and redemptive. Thirdly, God grieves when he sees he must allow people to suffer the consequences of their sin. And finally, number four, God defeats sin and and evil by wisely turning them back on themselves, ultimately calling them to self-destruct. All of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, lays out this amazing plan of God to restore that which was lost. And God has gone to amazing lengths to do that. So even if we don't understand all of the things that we go through from time to time, we should understand that God is ultimately good and loving. So let's look at what Habakkuk says in chapter 3. As he's coming around, he's done the questioning, God has answered him, and now he comes around and he says, and he's talking about the Babylonian invasion, I heard and my heart pounded, my lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones and my legs trembled. Yet... I love all of those little prepositions and all those small words that signify such an important change. Yet, I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Now, there's a kind of a carnal human nature. I'm, I'm waiting for God to take revenge. I'm waiting for them to be punished. Um, I guess he's being honest. And then he says... Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vine, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord, I will be joyful in God my Savior. And here's the most important line in the entire book, the sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. That's the most important verse in the entire book. Now chapter 3 is Habakkuk's prayer, where he first pleads with God to act, and then he recognizes God's sovereignty and his mighty power. He seems to compare the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt with a hopeful exodus of God's people out of Babylon. And I would say both of those prefigure a much greater exodus the exodus that God prepared for you and me out of slavery to sin and into glory with him. It's this hope of a future exodus in God's redemptive restoration that is the foundation of Habakkuk's hope and his praise toward the end of the letter. Habakkuk chooses trust and joy in God's covenant promises, becoming a shining example of how the righteous shall live by faith. Habakkuk has hope in the face of calamity and judgment because he has a history and a relationship of trust with God. His relationship with the author of eternity is personal, so he's able to have a personal and eternal perspective. He's able to sing a song of joy, even when the simplest sign of God's favor, food, is absent. And all of those terms, the the sheep and the olive and everything, all of those are agricultural terms for sustenance or food. So we could just take them all out and just say food. When all of that food is absent, he's still able to sing a, a song of joy. Our world and our lives can become dark and chaotic, but we are invited to trust and enter into a journey of faith because our God is sovereign and loving. 
Remembering provides the basis for our hope. Remembering God's faithfulness. So the unfailing source of strength and confidence that is necessary for satisfaction and contentment is the sovereign Lord God. And his strength makes it possible for us to feel the power in the feet of the deer, helping us through trials, helping us to climb the mountaintops of victory and triumph. Habakkuk says, even if, even if, I always find that the end of the year is a wonderful opportunity for reflection and self-assessment. And sometimes hitting the reset. And maybe you want to call those New Year's resolutions. And I won't get into how long those usually last. Some of you listening to me this morning have lost your jobs or your businesses. Some of you are struggling to pay the rent. Some of you, even from our own church family, have lost loved ones this year. Some of you are feeling trapped inside with a newborn day after day or with kids that should be in school but can't and you're all going stir-crazy. Maybe you're just kind of hanging on by a thread. Maybe this morning you're also wondering where God is or why he's allowed you to go through such tough times in your life or this year. Ultimately, I believe that our experiences, both good and bad, shape us. As I look back and reflect, I'd have to say that leaving Nicaragua, leaving Chihuahua, leaving Guadalajara, those were all painful experiences that we didn't want, but they have shaped us. The question I want to pose to you this morning is whether you can embrace Habakkuk's perspective, even if, even if. Whatever your circumstances, whatever your challenges, your pain, your hardship, whatever it's been during your life, As you remember those, can you also remember and reflect on the fact that God is faithful, that God is sovereign, and God is loving? I think the answer lies in our ability to echo with Habakkuk, the sovereign Lord is my strength. The sovereign Lord is my strength. We can choose an attitude of hopeful praise, of joy and trust, despite our circumstances and our experiences. You can be sure even when you are shaken. You can trust even though you're trembling. You can hope and have faith even in the dark, in the midst of chaos. Like Habakkuk, you can move from doubt to faith. Your trust in God and his promises is the bridge between panic and peace. Jeremiah echoes Habakkuk also referencing the Babylonian invasion, and he says, Yet this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. We want to celebrate communion this morning, and man, it would have been so nice to be able to have everyone here together this morning to celebrate communion. And uh, I hope that you will join me there in your home. I'm going to ask Diane if you want to come up and uh, join me as well. Observance of the Lord's Supper 
is one way we can publicly demonstrate our hope. And as a foretaste of the feast to come, it's a place to stand in awe of the Lord's deeds on our behalf and to pray that he will renew them again. Amazing things can happen when we worship God. Perspectives change, people change. Paul said this as he wrote to the church in Corinth, For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. As we partake together, as we celebrate together what Christ has done for us, we celebrate what is at the core of what we have in common, what binds us together and what gives us hope. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this cup, this bread, a symbol of your commitment of love and your sacrifice for each one of us. It binds us to you and it binds us to each other as together we partake and we celebrate and receive this amazing gift. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. sports world, there's a difference between being a fan and being part of the team. And it used to be that when you put on the jersey, you were part of the team. And that meant that you would sacrifice everything for the common goal and good of the team. When we take the bread and the cup, we are, we are saying to Christ and to each other that we are on the team, that, that we we're together in pursuing Christ and loving him and loving each other as we live out our faith together. So, as we say goodbye to 2020 and as we look forward to 2021, let's do that with tremendous hope. And let's do that as we walk together. Amen.